Welcome to the Do Divorce Right podcast. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and I'm here to help you transition through your divorce with ease and integrity, to not only survive the challenges of your divorce, but to thrive as you come out the other side of it with a much better life than you ever hoped possible. On this show, we talk about many different aspects of divorce, interview women who have their own incredible divorce stories, or those who can offer some great advice as you go through yours. The focus here is to help you find the strength and support to help you feel lighter, happier, more positive, and in a better frame of mind to face the inevitable challenges of your current journey. Welcome back to the Do Divorce Right podcast. Today's guest is a fabulous human being, Susan. I actually surround myself with fabulous human beings, so I probably should stop saying that because everybody that I get on the podcast is. Susan and I have been in a couple of different networking events together and different memberships, and the work that she does is so important to the clients that I um, work with as well. So Susan, welcome so much. Uh, welcome so much. Thank you so much and welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Could you please tell us a little bit about the work that you do, please? Okay, so I'm an ADHD parent coach and educator. Um, but really, I'm a lived experience mum who has knowledge of ADHD. So my son is now just about 20. Um, and I, it's only because of the skills and knowledge I learned that I was able to get him through school with his self-esteem relatively intact. So basically what I do now is I use that knowledge to help parents with ADHD. There's so much parenting knowledge out there and so much advice, but the problem with ADHD parenting is actually is really unique because our kids are really unique. The brains are really unique. And so what I do is I actually... And if you Google ADHD, there's so much information out there. So what I try and do is distill it down to these are the things you need to know to really understand ADHD. Because as a parent, when you really understand ADHD, you can then meet your child where they are yeah. and you can support them where they need to be. And it's it, the, the problem with ADHD is, it, it, you know, it's it's a roller coaster of ability. Some days they can do stuff, other days they can't. And it's so confusing unless you really understand it. The behavior looks like a choice and it's not. It's their neurotypical yeah. brains. Neurodiverse brains, sorry. Yeah, I, I want to ask forgiveness upfront because I, I might not use the right language. I um, do not know enough um, about neurodiversity, you know, and the, the spectrum of neurodiversity. And I thought we yeah. really want to focus on ADHD today. Yeah. Um, but being presumably neurotypical myself and my family, presumably being that way, non diagnosed or anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Please do forgive me if I use the wrong language. Yeah, yeah. no, no. Look, it is a bit of a minefield these days anyway, because it is ever changing. Because we're in a we're in a, a period of massive change when it comes to talking about neurodiversity and acceptance of it, which is wonderful. But e- but equally there's huge problems that go with that as well. Because yeah. people yeah, think they understand what they're talking about and they don't. So Yeah. So definitely call me out on it because I'm sure. so open to learning, yeah, understanding and having better language and having better understanding myself. Um Listen, the ways in which, so ADHD, the way in which I have been exposed to it, especially lately, is mostly in adult um, diagnosis. And the language I hear being used is very much that it's a superpower. How do you feel about that language? It makes me very nervous. Okay. The reason it makes me nervous is because our modern life 
does not advocate it being a superpower, particularly in the school environment, because ultimately our school environment naturally has to preside one solution for all children to educate them. And because our ADHD children, are, are, their brains work so differently that the school environment often really doesn't work for them. And that's where I see the most damage being done in the school environment. So one of the areas I really help parents is, is teach them how to advocate with the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately, when I look back on my journey, this is actually how I ended up in doing this. My son, he was diagnosed with dyslexia in year one. Um, and that was great. Okay, fine. That's fixable in adverted commas. So he went and he got some tutoring and the, the one-on-one tutor taught him how to read. Great. Problem solved, I thought. Only it wasn't because in year three, things were starting to get hard for him again. Um, and um, I, it was talking to another ADHD coach actually made me realize, actually, I could be looking at AD, AD, ADHD here. So I remember going into, he, I, he got an education assessment and they flagged it as, yes, that's a possibility. So I remember going into his teacher going, right, so he's got the ADHD and dyslexia, what are we going to do? And she looked blankly at me and I don't know. Yeah, like, oh, my goodness. OK, great. Well, I'll go back to university and find out. <laughs> so I went back and did a Master of Education where I was really lucky the way sometimes the stars align and send you on the right path. I got the opportunity to do research on the benefits of parenting children with ADHD. Now, there's nothing like writing a thesis to get you to know stuff. So I have a really unique in-depth knowledge of ADHD, parenting, and of coaching, um, which has been amazingly useful for me in terms of being able to do my job, because it means I have the deep knowledge of ADHD, um, plus I have the parenting knowledge to layer over that, plus I have the coaching skills, because there's nothing more challenging than parenting. I mean, I was an older parent. I was 39 before I had my first child. It was such a shock. So parenting is hard at the best of times. Layer in ADHD, layer in divorce, and there's so much going on for these families. Yeah. It is horrendously challenging. Absolutely. So... <sighs> For sure. <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit more about the families that you work with um, and whether you see more single parents, separated parents? What dynamics do you see in the families that you work with? Yeah, I was thinking about this and honestly, I would say it's probably 50-50. Um, I see a lot of separated parents. I see a lot of um, parents who are trying to co-parent together, so they're living separately. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've coached parents who are living separately, but you know, trying to learn how to co-parent their child. I've seen parents who are, and I am going to be honest, it's nearly always a mom who takes the initiative. There is sometimes dads who will take the initiative, but probably generally in my line of work, it's mainly the mom who takes the initiative. But then I've seen situations where the mom has taken the initiative and they've brought the dad on board as well, which gives me so much joy because if two parents can learn these skills together, it makes it so much easier. The biggest challenge for parents, uh, for families is when you have, and again, I'm going to be, say it's the mom, and I think it's the nurture in the mom. We tend to tune into these things probably faster, that there's something going on. Um, no so, judgment to dads there. There are some very, very active. Oh, absolutely um, there are. Yeah. And what I what I find, honestly, what gives me so much joy is when you get a dad on board who was like maybe a little bit dubious about ADHD or whatever. And then after a few sessions, he gets to see, oh, actually, yeah, OK, I can see. And he starts to change how he's parenting. That gives me so much joy because mm. I know I'm setting this family up for the future of having those firm foundations because what we now know about research is how incredibly parenting, how incredibly impactful parenting is on our children's self-esteem and self-worth and basically find fulfillment and contentment in life because that's what it's about. 
Yeah. So tell me when you see, say a mom has come to you and she is trying to find some solutions, but her ex-partner is not necessarily on board. What advice do you offer to her to try and get him on board with finding solutions that work for their family? So I'm quite sure I'm going to give give the same advice you give. There's only so much you can only control what's under your control. So what I, what I do um, teach parents is all about ADHD, but also some specific things in terms of dealing with dealing with a child who's coming back from a house that doesn't have the same support. And it's very much age appropriate. With little children, there's an element of you just have to fix fix them when they come back and, and create an environment that supports them. For older children, you can start to teach them advocacy skills where they can actually say to the other parent, this doesn't work for me. I need you to do this, this and this. So that kind of stuff. So, But it's very much age appropriate. Let's get specific. Let's give our listeners some advice that they can take home let's say we're talking about a child that's in I want to say middle school because that's what (laughs) the school my children go to but let's say like somewhere between the end of primary school not quite headed into high school yet they're coming between homes and the rules are different in each homes and fair enough right we we rule our homes in the way that we choose to and What are some of those bridging techniques and tools or ways in which the family can be supportive of a child with ADHD to make those transitions easier? Yeah. And, you know, Becca, I know I'm biased on this, but I absolutely know that it works. It's having the knowledge about ADHD is the fundamental. So if you've got another parent who is at least willing to engage in learning about ADHD, then doing a parent training course is absolutely the first place to go. Um, if they're not willing to go there, then tuning in. So, I, you know, I, I provide an awful lot of resources. So attitude.com is a really good resource. Follow me on Facebook. I put up stuff all the time in terms of managing ADHD. So it's really understanding ADHD and being able to recognize what's going on in the moment. Um, and see, the problem about ADHD, Becca, is you can have five children with all ADHD and they all present differently. So you can have you can have the pure inattention, which is what my son has, purely inattention ADHD. And you can have the child who is very hyperactive and has huge emotional regulation, dysregulation as well to go with that. So the 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 weakness in the executive functioning leads to emotional regulation weakness, which essentially is what's going on for the ADHD child. The frontal cortex is developing slower in a child with ADHD, which means their executive functionings are developing slower. That's the ability to plan, to be organized, to work out consequences, to get started on something, to stick at something, to manage your emotions. All of those are executive functioning skills. So they're much weaker in children with ADHD. So even that is a starting point. So if you've got a nine-year-old, go, sorry. Before we go on. So um, some of the ways in which what I've just written down now in, um, we're not trying to diagnose anybody, but yep. just being yep. aware that a child who has been diagnosed with ADHD already has um, potentially issues with inattention, yep. emotional regulation, yep. in emotional regulation, um, potentially hyperactivity, though that can present quite differently, and uh, lower skills in executive function. So there's much four so. ways in no, which... the lower we... skills in executive function is across the board. That is just ADHD. Honestly, yes. ADHD is misnamed. It should be called weak executive functioning. 
Okay. So at, at its bare minimum, we're talking about a child who struggles or is slower, is developmentally slower with executive functioning. Yes. So it's nothing to do, it's nothing to do with maturity and it's nothing to do with intelligence. It's just the executive functioning part. So mm -hmm. males, if you're asking a child to transition from one house to the next, asking the child to independently manage to remember everything is virtually impossible on that child is well into their teen years. Mm. Whereas a neurotypical eight to nine-year-old will be able, will get that. They'll already start to learn those skills and they'll just be able to do it. So we've got one parent who doesn't understand that. That parent is going to be incredibly frustrated with the fact their child can't do stuff if you don't understand its executive functioning weaknesses. That's where the knowledge really comes in. I'm potentially getting very annoyed at the other parent for appearing to be controlling are appearing to be um, doing stuff for them, babying them. Absolutely. That's very, very common. Um, mm -hmm. So that's probably the biggest tension. But to be honest, Becca, that happens in all families, even if they're not separated, where you get one parent who gets it and one parent who doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get teachers who get it and teachers who don't. Like, And, you know, you can be accused of being a helicopter mother you know, by the teacher because you're doing too much. I remember that when, he, when my son was in year one and I was helping him do his morning routine and the teacher was kind of going, let him do it himself. And I'm going, he has no chance. He's exactly. actually only... I'm helping He's actually him. only three when it comes to his executive functioning. Asking him to do it is impossible at the moment. <laughs> but by the time we got to year seven, he was able to do it. <laughs> so we've got three suggestions there on how to help your child or help your family with these challenges of transition. The first was get some knowledge. Get some knowledge yeah, about very much get some knowledge, yeah. and understand. And, and tapping into reputable resources make sure you what you're looking at is genuine well researched because it's not i wouldn't recommend tiktok as the first <laughs> first point the second thing then is to recognize what is happening in the moment yes, so that to me so. speaks about empathy for the child and yeah. allowing yourself to see exactly what's happening for them especially once you've already got the knowledge of yeah. where their limitations might be and the third thing is to help aid their transition by planning taking on that planning and organization yeah. for them and yeah. not expecting them to step up and do it themselves before yeah. and and if you if if at all possible you've got a parent who you, who's willing to work if two parents who can work together then finding a routine that's similar yeah so root the most common routine in both houses will actually support the child to actually be able to work better. So okay. same bedtime, same dinner time, same screen controls, that kind of stuff really supports the child to be able to manage the two homes. Um, if you can do any duplication of stuff like duplication of toiletries, duplication of maybe not school uniform, but there might be a portion of it that you might be able to duplicate, you know, mm. stuff like that to just lessen the executive functioning on the child of having to move stuff between houses all the time. Absolutely agreed. And honestly, I recommend that for any separating parents, yeah. For yeah. children of any age in those early, Absolutely. I want to say those early two years, you know, yeah. the more you can mirror a routine at transition, so not necessarily right. throughout the yeah. week, yeah. Yeah. But at transition, the better. So transitions for the ADHD brain are notoriously challenging. I'm sure. Yeah. So one example might be that when the children come in, letting them just dump their bags at the front door absolutely, and, and have half an hour of alone time. Like yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no demands on them whatsoever. And that happens at both houses. Yeah, very much the children so. have a moment to kind of, 
put just chill and get used to being in the next environment yeah absolutely yeah yeah go into the all right time to empty the bags let's put things away yeah yeah yeah. but knowing that with your adhd child you may actually have to scaffold that which means you walk with them to the room and help them put everything away so that's why if for example you have duplicate pajamas it's one less thing it's one less job to do yes i love that scaffolding um that's brilliant. That's really And it's very much age appropriate. And and the thing about it is that it's not the one, you know, the one thing about ADHD is it's it's inconsistent in its ability. So it's very common for a young child, for example, to have learned to tie laces. They can do it one day and they can't do it the next. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at them going, why can't you tie laces? You could do it yesterday. And it's got to do with the executive functioning is particularly poor that day. And it may be related to not having a, ha- not having a good night's sleep, um, transitioning from one house to the next. The executive functioning might actually be further weakened by just even by having to get used to being in a new environment. So it's very much about tuning into what's going on, which is incredibly frustrating if you're a parent trying to get out the door in the morning. That's the problem with it. Frustrating if you yourself have um, just emotional regulation issues anyway, because you're going through enough. That's exactly right. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. In that moment, then, because the second piece of advice was, you know, recognize what is happening in the moment. How can we? I've got plenty of advice on how we can manage our own emotional regulation. I'd love to hear your advice on how we can share some of that with our ADHD child to allow them to regulate when we see in the moment that they're not doing very well. And the starting point is, of course, with us, the parent. We need to be able to regulate ourselves. And you can't regulate yourself if you can't even recognise it. So it, it is very much about nurturing and recognizing your your own emotions where do you feel your emotions is it your head is it your shoulders is it your tummy so even just being able to recognize them is that first step and if you can name it awesome and then after that it's literally three deep breaths so what often happens is the child gets gets escalated Um, And I'm speaking very deeply from experience because I had my little son was incredibly emotional and I was as well. And I had to learn the skills and it was only by me learning the skills I was actually able to role model them to him. Um, And now when we have a row, we had we actually haven't had a row for a few years, but our last row, um, a really vicious row, like two was completely escalated. He said to me, mom, walk away. And I went, yeah. Oh, you're right. Absolutely right. And then I thought how awesome that I was able to, he he was 13, I think, how awesome that he was able to learn those skills at 13. I'm whatever I am, and I'm still struggling with them on days. So it's the whole thing of the earlier we can teach our children emotion regulation, the better it is. But if we can't do it, we can't teach it. So honestly, three deep breaths. It sounds so stupid and so ridiculous, but it's so bloody effective. But you first of all have to recognize your emotion. So I would say, say to people, if you're struggling and you're escalating with your child, that's the first place to start. Notice your, notice your emotion and literally just walk away initially. If you can't do anything else, walk away. And it does role model it to them. Absolutely. You know, this is totally my space with relational intelligence. And my son said to me over the we were we were all together working. I was working, the kids were doing their homework. And I was getting quite agitated with my daughter because of the way she was speaking to me. And I don't remember the words that I used, but I said something that just felt to me like I was reflecting to her whatever was going on. And my son says, Mum, you're being a bit mean. I don't know that you meant to do that. 
Thank you. Isn't that gorgeous? Isn't that yeah, gorgeous? thank you for that gift of <laughs> that yeah, horrible yeah. memory you just held up to me. I was like, yeah. and I defended myself at first and then said to him, I really appreciate you saying that. That was brave of you and I appreciate it because yeah. I want to get better at this. Yeah. So I can 100% um, advocate for teaching yourself how to yeah manage those moments so that we can role model to our children to manage those moments so that, that's um, the reason the first step is the understanding because you can't actually see that's the adhd as opposed to that's my child not, not listening that's my child not doing what they're told that's my child answering back that's my child losing their rag over something really stupid like putting socks on when in actual fact they have underlying sensory issues and it's horrendously difficult for them to put socks on if you can't see all that going on underneath then it rises up for you. Being able to name it, that's the ADHD, creates that space between your own emotions and what's actually gone. And you, you have a better chance of being able to lean into what's going on for your child and be able to say, I can see you're really struggling with this. Is there anything I can do? Yeah. That's so different. And, and it's a really difficult skill to learn if you've never taught it. I certainly didn't grow up with it. I had to teach myself it. Yeah, that's right. Okay, beautiful. Um, what advice would you give to clients when they're, you know, the, the parent that's driving those solutions, but presumably feeling really lonely and exhausted? How You mentioned about nurturing yourself first yeah. um, to be able to be in a place to nurture and help your children. Do you have any suggestions around that? Because I think that is so important. Finding other parents who will understand and trust you ideally other parents who are dealing with ADHD as well so that you can share knowledge and actually be able to because the thing about ADHD it's it's invisible I mean you you can't see its impact you can see the behaviors and you see the symptoms but you can't see its impact and because it's largely really not fully understood at all by the general population then it can be really it can be really confusing to talk to other parents in the schoolroom. And, and what happens is, you know, the whole comparison that happens in primary school, you're talking to other parents and you're, you know, I remember it so well, you know, they were talking about their children getting up and having breakfast or packing their bag. And I'm like, this was maybe, I know, year four perhaps. And I remember sitting there going, well, no bloody chance my son can do any of that. He can barely get dressed in the morning. <laughs> and it's, I, I had the knowledge to know it's okay. He hasn't got the executive functioning yet. But if you don't know that and you get caught up in that fear factor, then you will project forward and catastrophize, you know, to the child not having successful life and ending up drinking drug and living on the street. You know, that's what we do. We go from that in year four to 20 years down the road, the child is living on the street. And so so you can't think then, you know, you're completely caught up. So it's it's being able to tune it to other parents who can actually hear you and actually listen to what you're going, even if they're not going through the exact same thing, be able to believe you that yes, your parenting journey is incredibly challenging and I just want to moan about this right now to somebody who will actually understand me. That's incredibly important. The second thing is tapping into support groups. There are online support groups um, and there's, um, you know, it's just finding people who will actually give you support, appropriate support and yeah. the information you need. Um, there are like, there are some really, really good resources out there. Um, yeah. And I'm obviously going to be biased and saying my own my yeah. own course is an incredibly good resource. <laughs> so I've called my course the Confident ADHD Parent Formula, because basically what I want to give parents is more more confidence in their parenting 
um, by the knowledge and the education I give them. Just thinking about the online support groups, I um, I feel very differently about divorce online groups because you're mentioning about these being very supportive and and lots of fabulous advice in there. I see in the divorce groups so much awful advice, Gosh. and it very very quickly gets negative about oh he's a he's a narcissist do this and get him for all he's worth and it's like oh stop stop this doesn't help anybody. Um, so you don't see that in too much in the ADHD. I guess I'm, I'm just when you say that, um, I certainly, you know, I have a I have a Facebook support group and I facilitate one or two Facebooks um, as some online support groups. And I suppose they're facilitated. So perhaps that's what I'm talking about. Maybe they do need to be facilitated. And there are some good Facebook groups out there that are facilitated. Okay, good. So you're right. Of course, there's always that that risk of falling into the real negatives. Tell me, um, how do you feel about neurotypical people being allies for neurodiverse? So let's say you mentioned find other parents who can understand and trust you. And I would like to think that there are enough emotionally intelligent and wonderful human beings that not all of them will have children who are neurodiverse. So how can a parent of neurodiverse children bring on board neurotypical parents and families to help affect positive change to have, what is that too big a question am I <laughs> it's a huge question um because honestly that that actually that question is for our broader society and to our education because one of the difficulties within our education system here in Australia is that it's not recognized it's sorry it's recognized as a disability but but it's not funded so if you have ADHD in the classroom, the teachers do not have the skills or the resource or the tools. Now, I am absolutely not getting at the teachers. I think most teachers are doing a flipping fantastic job. They have an incredibly challenging job, but the system around them is not supporting our teachers to actually have that knowledge and the skills to be able to deal with children with ADHD. And that's where the damage is done because they are constantly being measured in an environment where the executive function requirements are up here and theirs are down here. And that kicks in from about mid upper primary school where they and it, and it continues all through high school. Yes. And it's really, really challenging. So what advice would you give to me then as a neurotypical mother with neurotypical children? How can I support the families in my classroom who have got neurodivergent children or ADHD children? Not judging, um, not not seeing the meltdowns and the emotional dysregulation in the 12 year old as being the child being acting badly or not having poor emotional control, recognizing that that child is actually only about nine when it comes to executive functioning, even though all their peers are 12, and recognizing that they don't have those skills yet. And by creating shame in that child, that's where you do the damage to the self-worth. So it's, it, you know, and, it, and it's about supporting the parent, not judging the parent for being a bad parent because their child is behaving properly. I'm using adverted commas a lot. <laughs> I love it. Honestly, I love that advice. Not judging. Um, and yeah, there needs to be more of that across all societies in every way. So you're probably familiar with the iceberg um, image. And, yeah. and basically, you know, ADHD looks like inattention, looks like hyperactivity, looks like um, combined where you've got the, the, everything going on. 
but underneath there's so much else going on. Lack of sleep, executive functioning, learning difficulties, ADHD rarely comes on its own. 60% of people with ADHD will have another um, um, comorbidity, something else as well. Mm. You know, anxiety, depression, the learning difficulties like dyslexia, dyscalculia, dyscalculia, all of which just makes school so incredibly challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, you Then you've got that that whole they call it, you know, the whole defiant part. If anyone is, is is dealing with a defiant child, that you know, it's it's about recognizing how to parent that child, and that's incredibly challenging as well because the child goes from mm-hmm. 0 to sixty like that, what and they're just what does defiant mean? So the defiance is actually defiance. Sorry, defiance. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah so. Okay. Yeah, but Dr. Ross Green, The Explosive Child, yeah. I recommend that book to everybody who is dealing with a young explosive child, mm-hmm. because ultimately what we need to understand that bad behavior is actually a form of communication, all bad behavior. And I, when I say this to parents, sometimes they look at me and go, really, even the 14 year old? I said, yes, even the 14 year old. They're acting out of a lack of being able to communicate what they actually need. And when you layer in ADHD, they're not 14, they're only 11 when it comes to being actually able to communicate what they need or even understand what they need so it's incredibly challenging mm-hmm. um so the teenage years are really difficult so w- which is why i always say try and learn those skills when they're in the you know n- ideally learn the skills between the age of six and twelve so that you've created that relationship that gets you through those difficult um adhd um teenage years yeah i love that what you've just said there about um all bad behavior is the it's a message a communication. Yeah. 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 I, um, I have told my mother multiple times as my children were very little, you know, when they were two, three, four years old and there would be a meltdown, very, very normal and typical. Um, and I would say to my mum, whose automatic reaction, if she was with us on holiday, might've been to want me to punish the child. And my response to her was mum, a child, um, needs love most when they deserve it the least or when they appear to deserve it yeah, the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this week I was having a little bit of a rant about something that had happened with one of my children and she said, um, I've been thinking about that. I think your child needs more love <laughs> because he appears to deserve it least at the moment. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, it's wonderful she's listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. I get it. <laughs> um um what would I would like to wrap us up with um I wonder if you've got any suggestions on ways that parents could minimize challenges when they're managing the child with ADHD over two households we spoke about that transition time and perhaps as much um repeatable patterns as possible is there anything else any other Suggesting well, there's some there's there's some practical stuff like if 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 the parents are not working well together yeah 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 what can we do so there's some practical stuff if your child is taking um ADHD medication then making sure the meds are in both houses so actually split it so it's in both houses um um making sure that any professionals that you're dealing with um, doctors, um, pediatricians, whatever, that they're kept informed or you copy in everybody, in other words. So if both of you can't go to the appointment, make sure that the other partner understands what, what has happened, what's taken place in that in that meeting, sending them email, whatever, keeping them informed. That's very important. Um, uh, recognizing what can actually be influenced. So, you know, often the transition back, what, what I what I have come across a lot is when when parents aren't co-parenting well, 
and it's really causing a lot of tensions, that the child comes back at, to the to the mum's house after being with the dad. Um, and this is where a dad is really just not accepting of the ADHD diagnosis or existence at the moment. So really struggling with it and having a hard time uh, managing the child as a result. When the child comes back to the mum, they nearly seem more dysregulated and they even seem you know, incredibly bad behaviored. But it's actually as a result of being able to mask to some extent with the dad because they recognize it's not it's not supported, not recognized there. And then as a result, they let it all out when they come home. Yeah, so it's recognizing that they might need extra support for those, you know, that first few hours of the first day until they settle back into it. That's quite a common scenario. Um, and then the difficulty with that is, you know, I, I've come across situations where dad has gone, well, I don't know what you're talking about. There is an ADHD because there's no recognition that the child is actually learning to mask in that house yeah. um, because they know that it's not understood and not supported. So again, it's about recognizing what you can influence and talking through it with the child, um, but not talking through it in a lecturing way, trying to ask questions. What do you think your dad was doing and what do you think your dad was thinking? And is there anything you could do to make it better? So that's where you teach the self-advocacy, remembering that the executive functioning is very weak and often they need to explicitly be talk talked through something that happened. So you know it's like that's why coaching questions are incredibly effective for these kids because you actually help them to think it through themselves which is obviously a better way for rather than us telling them what to do so it's approaching those situations with curiosity and helping the right. child themselves talk yeah. through what's happening for them yeah. helping them to name it and understand it absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um and um the other, the other thing is is trying to at least have a conversation about what's going on. So if you're not in a position to actually talk to them, you know, just sending them emails, giving, send them text messages. Just if you find little snippets of information that helpful, at least you're 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 you know you you don't know when the other partner may come on board. Yeah. You know that's what I often see. You you actually can't all predict, always predict it, but at some stage the other partner will go, oh, actually, yeah, there is something going on here. Um, and so it's just being open to recognizing that they they may eventually come on board. Yeah, I'd be. Um, there were two things there that that you've mentioned that I would feel a little bit concerned about passing those recommendations on. One is you know asking the child about well, what happened at daddy's house and and trying to get them to articulate that. So I want people to really think through how can that be done carefully that it's about the child's experience 100%. and they're reporting on yeah. the other thing. And like, I, yeah, like. They yeah, it's not about what happened. It's sort of what what did it make you feel, yeah. and is there anything you could do differently the next time? So I'm actually I'm actually pulling that stuff from the explosive child because he talks about how you unpack something afterwards, um, and and how you actually have that conversation with the child to actually figure out how to problem solve because ultimately that's what it's about. Yeah, I just don't want um for the for the child to ever feel that they're dobbing in. Oh no, gosh, in. no, absolutely yeah. not. No, no. But yeah, that's really important. But but equally it's creating that environment where it's safe to talk about whatever. But it's about, you know, recognizing that you're only hearing the child's perspective. There'll always be another side. And that's the same when they come home with stories from school. Don't react to the story in the moment. Yeah. You know, it's like there will always be another mm -hmm. side to it. Yeah, they will. And it isn't it isn't that the child is lying, it's just their perspective. Yeah. And the second thing you mentioned was about sending messages and emails to the ex, um, the, you know, the co-parent with information. And my suggestion there would be to maybe gather that and supply it 
you know, in one email. Here are multiple resources. Yeah. I'd really like you to have a look. When and it's do. obviously extremely dependent on how they get on. Absolutely. I mean, if it's very, if there's a huge amount of tension there, there's probably nothing to be gained by that. Yeah. Um, but in some cases, you may just have a parent who just doesn't know how to find the information themselves, but they're still on board. Absolutely. So we want, we certainly want to create opportunities for shared knowledge without feeling like you're badgering or you're, you know, yes. trying to control their Absolutely. knowledge yeah. gathering as well. Yeah. Yeah. Susan, this has been super informative and really, really helpful. Is there anything you would like to like wrap up before I ask you to share how people can find you? Um, no, I mean, I, I suppose at the end of the day, it's about recognizing as a parent, ADHD parenting is really extreme parenting. You need skills that your typical families just don't need mm. anyway. So when you layer in splitting up with a partner and trying to co-parent as well, which is notoriously difficult at the death of time, then it's about recognizing all of us can only ever do what we can do in the moment. Mm. And, and, and I suppose that's what it's about. It's trying to be a mindful parenting, mindful parent. Mindful parenting comes from recognizing our own emotion, recognizing the child's emotion and not giving a judgment, just accepting it is what it is. And then what can we take from this? Um, and it, it is incredibly challenging without a doubt. But what I do know is that when you learn the skills and when you learn what ADHD is and you learn how to recognize your own emotion regulation, which is obviously something I teach very much as part of my course, because it's so fundamental, um, and that basically you can then create that environment for your child to, to grow. Yeah, beautiful. And how can people find you? So susanhughes.com.au. And if you'd like to have a look at the resources on my course, if you, if you um, Google the Confident ADHD Parent Formula, You'll find the details for that. And um, at the moment, I have a wait list open. Great. Well, I will definitely will definitely put the details in the uh, notes. And this episode will be coming out very soon. So the wait list will be open or doors will be open by the time this episode gets out. It'll be next term. <laughs> term, oh, yeah. term 1, 2024. Okay. Susan, thank you so much for your time. You're amazing. Thanks for listening. I hope you took something of value out of this episode. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and you can find me on the web at dodivorceright.com or on Instagram at dodivorceright. I look forward to connecting with you there.